Hi, this is Ken Savacco, the pastor here at Rogers Assembly, and I just want to thank you for joining our audio podcast today. I hope that this message makes you feel connected, that it allows you to grow in your faith, and it helps you understand that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. So we are in a series entitled Fight Song. Fight Song. Uh, We know that every good warrior, every wrestler, every boxer has a a fight song or a theme song, something that just gets their adrenaline pumping a little bit. Uh, I was reading just this past week about uh, wrestler um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? Do we have any wrestling fans in the house that you're willing to admit, right? (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, So, um, but... But uh, Stone Cold has like this um, unique theme song where the very first thing that happens before the song ever really kicks in, um, they recorded glass shattering. And so the, the glass shatters. And they were just saying basically how they would pump that through auditoriums. And as soon as people would hear the glass shatter, um, man, they would just jump to their feet and they'd get all excited because they knew that Stone Cold was on his way to the ring. And, um, and I guess that's kind of what fight songs do in the secular uh, world. But when you and I have praise as our fight song, and you and I begin to praise, how many of you know that there's someone greater than Stone Cold that's coming our way, right? That the presence of God is heading our way. And that's what doesn't shoot adrenaline through us. It shoots the Holy Spirit a little bit through us. And so I am always believing 110% that we as Christians need uh, need to let praise be our fight song. Before we ever step into battle, um, we need to go before us in praise. Um, and that's really what this series is all about. You and I, we've talked about this. Uh, basically the premise that you and I have battles. We have struggles. But you can't fight spiritual battles with worldly weapons. And we know that the battles that we face are not always the person in front of us. It's the powers of this evil world and dark principalities and and that of the enemy and so if we're fighting spiritual wars with our biceps we're in trouble amen right if we're fighting spiritual wars with with uh, swords or guns we're in trouble we need to learn to fight in the spiritual and one of the greatest tools that god gave us is our praise praise sets us in the place Um, to usher in his presence, and we know God's presence brings us victory. We've looked at lots of different um, scenarios. We started off by looking at uh, Joshua, as Joshua crossed over the Jordan, and, and the very first obstacle he had was Jericho, and the walls of Jericho were thick and bound up, where nothing went in and nothing went out, and they thought it was impossible. God told them, not to fight with their javelins or their swords or their shields, but he said, put all of your singers up front and then march around the city and then unleash a shout of joy, which shout we we come known as praise. And so when they shouted, the walls of Jericho fell. And so we understood that it wasn't weapons that brought the walls down, it was praise. We understood uh, the week after that, you know, we looked at 
um, uh, King Jehoshaphat, and he was surrounded by the Ammonites, and the Ammonites were closing in on him. And it is basically an ambush situation where they snuck up on him in such great force, and they didn't know what to do, but God told him that he would not have to fight that battle. Amen. Aren't you guys glad that the Lord fights our battles for us? Amen. I'm so thankful for that. The Lord fights our battles for us. And so we get to that point where all they did was they, they praised the Lord. And the Lord confused the Ammonites. And it was, it was based, there's a hidden message in there um, that Jehoshaphat was the leader of the tribe of Judah. And Judah means praise. So when you mess with the people of praise, you get the lion of praise. And when, the same is true today. When you mess with God's people of praise, then you get God. And God shows up and God fights our battles. We looked at Paul and Silas strapped to prison chains in Acts, strapped to walls. When, when nothing was going their way, they were in prison for something um, uh, that they really didn't, they did, but it wasn't really a crime. They set a slave girl free. And they were in prison for that. But at midnight, at maybe the darkest hour, they began to sing praises out. And the earthquake came and it shook the foundations of where they were at. And praise opened the way for a miracle to occur. And they were set free. But it wasn't them that was really set free. The greater miracle was in the life of the jailer who lived his life in fear, set free and saved that day. And then, of course, the church was later established there in Philippi, in Macedonia, the first church in Europe. We understand uh, that maybe the greatest act of praise or the greatest act of worship was in the New Testament by a lady that we didn't even know who she was. And, uh, and it didn't involve music, it didn't involve song lyrics, it just invo involved her busting into a dinner party and pouring out a jar of alabaster perfume on the feet of the Savior. And we discovered that's what praise leads us to. It leads us to, to discovering the worth of who Jesus is. Amen. He's worthy. He's worthy of everything. And so today we're going to be taking this series one step further. And uh, I want to look at uh, Exodus chapter 13, because there's a, uh, a, an incredible story there. But I, I want to talk to you today about, um, about praising God in the middle of your funk. Okay, I looked it up. Funk is a biblical word. Okay, just I know you guys are questioning me. Um, at least Mark, Mark Wahlberg thinks so, right? And... Uh, that is a long way to go for a Marky Mark in the Funky Bunch reference. But I want you to know that's the type of pastor that I am. I will go the extra mile for an obscure 80s reference or 90s or whatever there. But um, how many of you guys have ever been in a funk, right? I'm not talking about the cool funk from the 70s. No, I'm talking about like the funk where you're like in a fog, like where you're dazed. Um, you know, um, it's easy to praise God when everything is going good. 
When things are rolling your way, it's easy to praise God. And I'll believe it's even easy to praise God when everything is not rolling your way and the, the deck's kind of stacked against you because at that point, you, you know you need God. And so you're willing to surrender. And sometimes I think that it's really hard to praise God when you're just in the middle, when you're in the funk, when you're in the, the hard parts of life. And when I say funk, what I mean is a state of blah. You know, like blah, 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 right? For all you Hotel Transylvania fans. Blah, blah, blah. Where everything is just humdrum. Where there's no excitement. There's no joy. Um, I call a state of funk maybe being in a state of burnout. Where you've worked so hard for so long and you've given so much that there's just not a whole lot left to give and you feel like your energy is drained and your resources are drained. I call that being in a funk. Maybe it's neither of those. Maybe it's just a state of depression where one day you wake up and you're in a mood and then that mood never changes, right? And it just goes on and on. And like I, you know, and depression is one of those, those things where we've all felt it at some point or another, but we don't know how we get in it and we don't know how to get out of it. It's just this weird feeling and moods that, that, that down us. Maybe it's a state of indecisiveness. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. When you're hem-hawing in life because you don't have a clear-cut direction. Should I take this job or should I take this career path? Um, I have this problem in my life, but I don't really know how to, what to do with it, how to fix it. I don't know how to address it. So I just kind of go day-to-day just bypassing it. I call that a state of funk. Maybe it's a state of constant difficulty that maybe you're here and you're like, no matter what I choose, what route I go, I just know it's the hard way. Like, that's just the story of my life. You know, where you're in a pattern of, uh, of, of difficulty. Well, today I want to look at the power of praise in the midst of our funk, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our lostness in the midst of our burnout, in the, midst, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our depression, in the midst of our hardship. Whatever you deal with, I, I use the word funk because you can just throw it all in there, right? Whatever it is, we can learn to praise God. And I want to start reading in Exodus chapter 13, um, and I'm going to start at verse 7. And this is really a story about the Israelites after they had been released from Egypt, a release from their bondage on their journey, um, just starting out. And so I want to pick up the story here in verse 7. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath, and he said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they encamped at Etham on the edge of the desert. 
By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Hallelujah for that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hariroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Saphon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Today I want to look at three simple reminders in our story that will encourage us to praise in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our burnout, in the midst of our stress, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our funk. So it's important to remember that in the midst of our funk, number one, God has not left you. God has not left you. This is incredible to think about that, that the Israelites were were years and years in bondage, generation after generation in slavery. And God had uh, set them free through miraculous means. You guys will remember the the ten plagues that plagued Egypt there. Finally, Pharaoh was uh, softened just enough to allow his cheap labor force to go. And and so Moses led the million-plus Israelites out into the desert without GPS navigation, right? Just following God. And it's interesting to me, it's always been interesting, the route that God led them. Because in verse 17, it tells us that God did not lead them along the main road. See, the main road is kind of nice, isn't it? Don't you guys like driving the main road? I mean, if you're going long distance, yeah. I like the interstate. It's faster. It's quicker. The roads are paved better. But oftentimes I feel in life, God leads us on the unconventional road. We don't always have the privilege of driving on the main road. How many of you guys do it slightly different than what the normal is? All right, I'm not calling you abnormal today. I'm just saying unconventional, right? We do things differently. So he doesn't lead them on the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. So God doesn't lead them on the shortest route either, which translates, that means they're taking the long road, the long route. And oftentimes we think that when God delivers us and God sets us free and God brings salvation to us, that it, that, that it upgrades us to first-class service. Right? Don't we think like, like, man, now that I'm saved and I have like this pressure of, of guilt and sin that's just relieved on me, that it's smooth sailing from here on out. But that is not true. Instead of get us getting first-class service, the light comes on that says, please fasten your seatbelts because this is going to be a long, bumpy road. How many of you guys, that's more your, your, your walk with God, right? Um, and that's the way that the Israelites are feeling here. 
God is not leading them the short route, the fast track, the main route to the promised land. No, he's taking them the long way. Some of us feel like we take the long way in life. Like we're just, we're just, we're just getting by. We're not thriving. I make just enough to pay my bills, right? And have a little bit left over to eat and nothing to put in the bank, right? We feel like we're just getting by. Maybe we feel like we're, we have some relational issues and, and we keep trying and we, we forgive and we, we go through that process, but we don't ever feel like we're getting ahead, that we're making headway. We're, we're right back to square one where we've always been. Maybe you're here today and you feel like it doesn't matter what I do in life, I just can't win. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I wish I could say that it all got better for the Israelites once God delivered them out of Egypt, but it did not. The Lord sent them on an unconventional path, the long way towards the promised land. And if that wasn't bad enough, in Exodus 14, um, verse 2, it says the, uh, the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites to, and I hate these two words here, turn back and encamp camp near Pi-Hirith between Migdal and the sea. Turn back. Turn back? Have you guys ever ridden with someone where they're like, we got to turn back? Right? How much confidence do you have in the people that have to turn back? Right? Um, because what it does is you question, why didn't we just do this right the first time? You guys ever question leadership when they have you turn back? Like, hey, we're doing this. Now I want you to turn back. Um, I will share a little story with you guys today because uh, last, last week, Jane and I went to a hockey game in Cleveland. Was it last week? Last week? Okay. Rocket, um, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse there in Cleveland. And so Jane and I decided we're going to go up to Cleveland to watch a hockey game. And uh, we're going to stop in Warren um, and, and eat because there's like this little dive restaurant up there that Jane and I like. And so we're like, okay, we'll just stop there on our way to Cleveland and we'll make a night of it. Um, now, on, on a side note, you're going to need this piece of information for later. I was deciding to get gas up in Niles on my way to Warren because at Sam's Club, it's always like 40 cents cheaper than everywhere else. It is like incredibly, it's always cheaper up there. So I'm like, well, I will just get gas when we get up there. Okay, you're going to need that information later. Uh, and my wife is, was, yeah, hangry. That's a better word. Uh, I love my wife. I have, a, I have a rule with my wife. Can I share my rules? Yeah. I just have to feed her like every two hours. <laughs> if I feed her every two hours, life is good, right? But when she gets angry, it, it, it's like, it's like the Incredible Hulk. Like, you don't want to see me when I'm angry. She doesn't bulk out. I'm going to move over here. But me, in all of my wisdom, driving up to Warren, um, I know where Warren's at. I've been there a thousand times. 
but sometimes when I drive, I daydream a little bit. So I miss my turn onto 82. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's what I felt last week. And I found myself heading due north right up Route 11. And, um, and as we're going, I'm like, this doesn't look quite right. Right? I think I should have been closer there. And so it's no big deal. We have technology. We have GPS. And so um, I could backtrack and go back down, but I'm like, no, let's just do GPS and we'll just, we'll just cut off the, the part that I, I messed up there. We'll make a little triangle there. And so we punched in the new coordinates. And um, how many of you guys know, like, on Route 11, like, once you get up past there, there ain't much. This is where that gas part comes into play. So we are, we are setting a new course towards our destination. And as we're going through the country, like real rural country, my gas gauge is getting closer and closer to E. And that's not good. I mean, I'm, I'm not even at eighth. An eighth of a tank would look like a full tank compared to where I was at. I mean, I was like, like, like the light was coming on. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I stress out when I get that close to empty. I'm one of those guys, not that I, not that I stress out at a quarter of a tank, all right, but I can't let that, if I let that light come on, man, I'm getting gas, like boom, right there. So it stresses me out, and I start worrying. Now, my wife can drive on E for days. It doesn't bother her one bit, right? So, exactly. In fact, I love our van because our van has the estimated miles you can go on the remaining gas in your tank. And when it hits zero, Jane's, Jane knows she, she can go, still go like 37 miles after it hits zero. Right? I don't want to know how she knows that. I'm like, you know, every time you get in and it says you can go zero miles, you're just, you're just testing fate. Don't bother her. It bothers me. I'm stressing. And so um, we're going through the country and all of that stuff, and uh, I'm low on gas, wondering if I'm ever going to get filled up or we're ever going to get back to civilization. Um, and uh, so my wife punches in her phone through, I don't know if it's the gas thing or whatever, but she's like, oh, no, there's a gas station 6.2 miles up on our path. So I know that there's a gas station up there and all of that stuff. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that in that moment when I was feeling lost and wandering a little bit, um, I had some reassurances because I had GPS that was rerouting me to my destination. I had my brilliant wife who was telling me exactly where the gas station was so that I could stop and get gas. Did I say brilliant? I meant brilliant and beautiful wife. Right? And then also on my GPS, too, it, it had an a, a estimated arrival time of when we're going to get there so that I knew I wasn't going to miss my event. And, um, and I guess the moral of this story is, is that God works like that in the midst of our funk, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of us kind of wandering in life or wandering around. Um, 
or, or hardship or anxiety or stress, um, no matter what it is, when we feel like a little worried that our, our gas is running on E and we don't know if we're ever going to be able to fill up, where we're not quite sure where we're at by looking at our surroundings, we're not quite sure if we're going to reach our destination in time, I want you to know that God's presence has never, ever left you, that he works better than GPS, he fills you better and more fully than the Dutch house, or the Duchess. The Dutch house fills you too, but, but in a different way, right? Than the Duchess. And, uh, and, and you can rest assured that as God is going to get you to your destination at the perfect time. That's how God works. Um, in fact, I saw a bumper sticker. Uh, it was on a Jeep. Um, and it said this. It said, uh, all those who wonder aren't lost. All those who wonder aren't lost. And I thought, man, that's great for, that's great for a Jeep, because you just might be out for a stroll. But I also thought, that's great for God's people. Just because you're wondering doesn't mean you're lost. Just because you're in a season where you might not have it all figured out doesn't mean that God doesn't have it under control. It's a, uh, it's a matter of just trusting in God to get you through that. See, that day in the wilderness, the Israelites were wondering a little bit. But they had something better than their predicament. They had God's presence. And in Exodus 13, 21, it reminds us that the Lord went ahead of them and he guided them. He went ahead of them and he guided them and a pillar of cloud, and then also a pillar of fire. And those two things never left. God was with them the entire time. God's presence was with them even when Pharaoh's army came out to attack them. And God's presence allowed them to, to fight off that. The fire came down and protected that wall. And, and um, it was God's presence that allowed them to go through the Red Sea. It wasn't... It wasn't the power of who Moses was. It wasn't the magic of the staff. But it was God's presence and his anointing and his power that, per, uh, that performed a miracle. And it was because of God's presence on the lives of the Israelites that it allowed them to walk through the Red Sea when Pharaoh could not. And the armies could not. See, it was the power of his presence. All physical properties said, no way. But God decides that when man says no way, he makes a way where there is no way. Amen. Amen. God just is in the habit of doing that. And so when you're in a funk, remember, God has not left you for a second. He never ever leaves you nor forsakes you. This leads me to a second reminder that I want to talk about today. In our times of confusion and hardship and stress, anxiety, in our times of funk, not only has God not left us, but we also need to remember that God has a plan. He has a plan. You ever ask yourselves why? All the time, maybe. Why? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go through this? God, why don't I have better options in my life? Why do I feel like I'm stuck in limbo? How come every time I feel like I'm stepping 
one step forward, it also feels like I'm taking two steps back. Like, I think I'm getting ahead, but I'm really not. Right? Like, I think I'm getting ahead by receiving stimulus money, but a year later, I feel like I'm two steps back. Because a Big Mac costs nine bucks. <laughs> right? Sometimes we just feel like, oh, we're, we're getting ahead, but we're really not. And, and I guess, in a way... Um, I feel like the Israelites were there. The Israelites were there because they, they're moving, but God also has them moving backwards. It's interesting to think that God was leading them to that place. God was the one taking them the long way. God was the one taking them the unconventional way. God was the one that was leading them by the Red Sea, which, by the way, from a military standpoint, it was a, a, a positional liability. They were vulnerable there with no escape route. It's incredible to think about sometimes that God is the one that led Israel to their place of weakness. Because it makes us think sometimes maybe God leads us to our place of weakness. That place where we're burnt out and no energy. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're in a place of weakness. Place of hardship. Place of difficulty. Place of burnout. Place of depression. And I guess in those times we, we react and we ask God, why? Why, God? Why? Why me? Why this? Why now? But the truth is, is that God has a plan. He always has a plan. And let me tell you, as a pastor to a church, as a friend to friend, if you're in a place of weakness, what you need to do is learn to just step back and trust in God. Amen. Step back, take a deep breath from all of the trouble, all of the stress, all of the anxiety, all of the pressure, all of the problems that you feel, and trust God through your situation. Trust God. Because God has a plan. In Exodus 14.3, it says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering, wandering around the... Let me start over. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. So the Israelites are in confusion, and they feel like they're in confusion... And they're feeling the, the, the achy legs and bones and all of that stuff from having walked way out in the desert and then walking back. They're feeling vulnerable there by where they're camping. But really, God had a plan all along. And they couldn't see that plan when they were going through it. So sometimes I think that God leads us to a place of weakness 
so that his strength can be revealed through us. Isaiah 43.16. Isaiah the prophet kind of is, is remembering this in, in a prophetic way. And he's using it there um, to send a new message to Israel. But, but he's recounting this story, Isaiah 43.16. He says... Um, he says this, this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And I'm excited when I think about this because God's plan and God's purpose in their wandering, in their confusion, in their bewilderment, with them being vulnerable in a place of weakness, was to do something miraculous and to do it completely. See, it reads like this. God is the one in that midst, when the Israelites felt all of that, God was the one that was drawing out Pharaoh's chariots. He was using it to draw out their horses. And in verse 17, it tells us that God snuffed them out like a wick. Now, I'll be honest, when I was a kid, we used to play with um, candles. And uh, we'd have a candle lit. And I don't know if maybe you guys have ever done this. And mom says, hey, go blow out that candle. And of course, we, I, would, I would just play with the flame on the candle. And I would just blow it just a little bit. And I would watch that flame bend. Because I wanted to see how much force it took to actually just blow that candle out. You know? And I would blow it, and it, that flame would get real, real small, almost like an amber. And then the second that I'm done blowing on it, that flame would come back. And so I would play with that. My mom would say, quit doing that because you're letting off a lot of smoke in the house. Right? I don't know. Has anyone else ever did that when a kid? Maybe with a match or something? I don't know. Um, but I used to do that. But in order to ex- actually extinguish that flame, says, as soon as my mom says, you know, hey, hey, quit messing around. Just blow that thing out. Then it was what? One quick gust with a lot of force that just went, and it's out. And that's what God is saying here. That in the midst of that funky time for the Israelites, in the midst of confusion and wandering around, I am snuffing out your enemy like a wick. I'm going to come in with such force and just hit them with so much force that they will be extinguished forever. And I guess this is really awesome for me because when God does something in your life and He does something in my life, He wants to do it completely. I think if the Israelites would have escaped Egypt and they would have been down the road, and Egypt, I'm sorry, Pharaoh would have still remained in power, and Pharaoh's army still would have been all powerful, the, the, uh, the biggest army and the strongest army in the world at that point, that the Israelites might have always looked over their shoulder wondering when are they coming back to enslave us again. I think that because that's the way I think sometimes. You know, like when um, God brings you through something, but you look over your shoulder to wonder when it's coming back. 
God doesn't want that. God wants to bring us total healing. And that's what he's doing here in this place. He's eradicating the enemy totally so that they can live their lives without fear, without looking over their shoulder. Total healing, total restoration, total redemption, total forgiveness, total salvation. And it gets better than that. Lastly, the last reminder Not only does God have a plan, but God will make a way. See, just me knowing God has a plan is awesome. It gives me strength and it gives me hope. Knowing that, hey, I don't have to have it all figured out. God does. But it gives me even more power, more courage, more strength when I realize that God is fully capable of executing his plan. Thank you, one person. God can execute his plan in fullness. There is nothing that's too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for him. So God allows his children to be in a season of confusion, to backtrack in the desert, to allow leadership to feel the complaints of the people saying, I don't think you know what you're doing. Right to place them in vulnerable situations with no escape routes, where their backs are up against the Red Sea, because God says it's all part of my plan. You have to go through this so that I can draw out the enemy, so that I can snuff them out completely, so that I can do something so great and so wonderful and so majestic that it's going to take place and you're never going to have to worry about it again. This is the beauty of the story. That God's presence, when it steps into our lives, it allows God to make ways where there are no ways. And so when their backs are trapped up against the wall, it's God's presence that caused the Red Sea to part. And it's God's presence that allowed them to walk through that Red Sea. And when Pharaoh and his army tried to follow, you know what happened? The Red Sea collapsed on them and killed every one of them. And I want you to know that that's what um, God's presence does in our lives. See, when we praise, the Bible tells us God inhabits the praise of His people. God's presence shows up. And God's presence is what brings anointing to our lives that allows us to do things that others cannot do. God's presence allows us to walk through seas when when Egyptians cannot walk through them. God's presence allows us to kill giants when kings cannot kill them. God's presence allows us to withstand the temperature of fiery furnaces when when, uh, jailers cannot. God's presence allows us to survive lion's dens. And it allows us to to have um, deadly serpents bite us on the hand like Paul. And still live. It's because of God's presence in our lives. And His presence comes when we learn to praise Him. There is nothing that is too difficult, difficult for God. I honestly believe that God makes ways where there are no ways. 
And we sang that in some songs today. You know, just ask the man who was thrown on the bones of Elijah if there's anything that he can't do. Amen, that's so powerful. What a powerful lyric. Just ask the stone that was rolled at the tomb in the garden, what happens when God says to move? There is nothing in all of creation that is too difficult for God to do. When God says move, it has to move. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me on the platform, and I want to spend some time worshiping the Lord um, in just a moment. But I want to reread this passage in Isaiah because I don't want you to miss it. There's something powerful here. It says, this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like the lit like a wick. So Isaiah is prophesying and he's remembering what the Lord has done for us, but he doesn't just stop there. Isaiah goes on and he says, we're not done yet. The Lord is going to do something more. And so he starts prophesying more. In verse 18, he says, so forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And it's powerful to think about. And and as I close, I want to draw attention to just two verses right there. Um, And yeah, it's the next slide. It says in verse 16, this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the desert. Now that's past tense. The Lord is the one who made a way for them. But now in verse 19, he says, I am making a way. So the God who made a way for us in the past, I want you to know, is still making a way right now for us. And he's still going to be making a way for our future. God is not done with us. The God who was faithful to us there in the past is going to be faithful to us now in the present and in the future. God says, I made a way for you, and I will continue to make a way for you. And I want you to know that in your life, that in your funk, in your anxiety, in your stress, in your hardship, no matter where you're at and what you feel, no matter what pressures you have that you're facing, no matter what obstacles you have, God is not only the one who made a way for you in the past, He's making a way for you through your present situation. Amen. He's still making ways. And He makes ways when we begin to praise the Lord. And we praise the Lord not just for what He's done, but what for what He's doing right now. What He will do. And the very first thing that happens is is the Israelites, they cross the Red Sea. And I imagine they're, this is a long ordeal, there's millions of them are getting to the other side. And as soon as they reach the other side, the waters cave in. And the enemy is eradicated forevermore. No more fear. No more slavery. No more bondage 
forever. And in that moment, Exodus chapter 15, they respond in praise. It says, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. The very first act, as soon as they crossed the Red Sea, as soon as they got through, they sang a song unto the Lord. And it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver are hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength, and he's my defense. Hallelujah. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and he's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. He is my Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, they've been hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers, the very, be- the very strongest of them, have been drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you're the one who threw down all those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger and it consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy boasted, I will pursue and I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But, but you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So my question is this, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? The answer is no one. No one, no one is like our God. Can you stand to your feet today, church? And I want to offer up some praise to the Lord because I believe God is still the one who makes a way. He's still making a way. And if you're going through something today, you're going through a struggle, you're going through a a depression, you're going through anxiety, you're going through something at home or at work, if there's something that's pressing in, I'm going to encourage you to praise the Lord through it. Praise the Lord because because our, our praise ushers in His presence. And His presence gives us victory. I want you to know that when all hope is lost and we get down and we get discouraged, that God makes ways where there are no ways.